Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about bereavement during COVID and cancer with Andrea Lucibello. Ms. Lucibello is a licensed clinical social worker and the coordinator of bereavement services for Yale New Haven Hospital. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. First of all, let's talk a little bit about what exactly is bereavement. I mean, I think we all kind of know about grief, but tell us a little bit more about bereavement and and what bereavement services has to do. Sure. Well, bereavement begins really after someone experiences the death of a loved one. And uh, bereavement um, can really affect people not only emotionally, but also physically, uh, cognitively, and even socially. And the services that we provide um, provide people um, an opportunity to discuss um, what they're experiencing and also validate and normalize what they're experiencing. Um, quite often, when folks contact us, um, they're really beginning to feel that something is wrong with them, that they've never felt like this before after the death of a loved one. And for some folks, um, it might be that um, this is the first time that they've experienced the death of a loved one, the first time that they've experienced grief. Um, and for others, um, it might be that um, they have experienced other deaths, but haven't had the same reaction that they've had with this particular death. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would think that for anybody, especially when you're losing a loved one, it's it's a really traumatic experience and one that, you know, you really never quite get used to, especially if it was unexpected. Um, are there things that people should kind of do uh, and think about before that happens um, in terms of, you know, how to prepare for something like that? I mean, we we oftentimes don't know when we're going to lose a, a loved one, especially if it's uh, a, a very sudden event. But when we're talking about things like um, medical issues, whether it's cancer or COVID, um, sometimes we have a, a little bit of a, a runway and you can kind of get a sense that things may not be going as well as uh, one would like and that the end might be near. And so are there things that people should be doing in terms of, you know, cementing relationships, getting affairs in order, or even emotionally processing kind of the reality of the situation um, to prepare in advance? Sure. What you're actually talking about is um, anticipatory grief. And that happens um, uh, to family members um, and even the patients as they near the end of life. And as people are approaching end of life, we, we encourage families, we encourage patients to talk about, um, talk about what the person meant to them. Um, 
Talk about memories. Um, for some people, it's helpful to um, have family members write down sp- special stories. Some patients and families may even write um, letters and cards to their loved one. Um, and also, as you had mentioned, too, um, trying the best that you can to put affairs in order, uh, business affairs in order. A lot of times um, it's it's helpful for um, family members to talk about perhaps passwords that they may have, um, where um, certain business um, information could be found. Um, so all of that is, is all helpful and, and also will also help the grief process after the loved one dies. Because one of the complications of, of a bereavement um, after, after someone dies is um, managing the uh, affairs, the business affairs, and also dealing with uh, the probate court process that can have an impact on grief and actually even delay the grief sometimes. Tell us more about that. I mean, I, th- I think that that's something that a lot of people may not think about in terms of, um, you know, the probate court process and, and how that uh, really affects, um, you know, not only kind of getting uh, affairs in order, but but affects people emotionally as well in terms of processing those emotions. Sure. Well, a lot of times what my experience has been in working with family members is as they're dealing with these different businesses or perhaps credit card companies um, or even within the court, you know, the probate court itself, they're constantly having to share the story of their loved one's death. And sometimes with businesses, sometimes when people are listening, um, they can be compassionate um, towards people who, who are grieving. But and, and for other folks, they might be more business oriented, where it's kind of like the situation of just kind of get to the facts. And when something like this happens, again, um, people who are grieving, they're vulnerable. And so again, it, it, it triggers grief reactions, it triggers the sadness, it triggers the loneliness, um, and, and the sorrow uh, of, of for what they're going through and for not having their loved one present for them. Yeah. You know, and and I think the other the other issue is, you know, after you lose somebody uh, and I mean, you you went through the process of, you know, holding their hand uh, at their last moments. Um, that's really so important. And, and to share some time with them, I would think that that's even more difficult now when when people are socially distancing. Um, you may not get to see your your loved one in the hospital as much, especially when we were in the thick of covid. Um how how did that whole process, uh, how was that affected uh, during a global pandemic? Uh, the pandemic has impacted all beliefs um, uh, that um, we have regarding rituals, um, concerning end of life, um, with the death of a loved one, funerals, and even celebration of life. Um and just for the reasons that you've you've talked about, one is, um, you know, certainly the suddenness and unexpectedness of the death. Folks aren't being able to necessarily be with their loved one um, at the time of death. There is greater isolation with people who are grieving because of social distancing. And also, even when uh, people may have had funerals, um, they have to limit the number of people who can be at a gathering. Um and also, one of the um, one of the challenges that 
that we have um, in in working with people um, who are grieving um, is actually helping family members um, take a look at what I call the the self talk um, that that can impact grief. For many family members that we that we work with, some people have the thought that um, they abandoned their loved one, or that they the fact that they weren't available to them um, uh, wasn't it, it didn't match again with with their belief system. So one of the one of the factors um, and that that we that we use with with our family members that we work with is to pay attention to the words that they, that they use um, because words create feelings. And so one of the things that we do in our support groups, as well as our seminars is to validate, first of all, the, how the pandemic impacted their, their experience, but also for each person who, who has come into our programs, as they tell their story, they haven't abandoned their loved one. They were there. They were there in the best ways that they could be. Um, they did talk with the medical team. Um, they did have FaceTime with their loved one. And for some folks, depending upon when their loved one died, um, they may even have been able to come in near the end of life for the couple of hours. So those are just some of the factors that um, that we have worked with within our program um, concerning the pandemic. Um, the other um, factors that we know from leaders in the area of grief and bereavement is uh, the risk factors um, that, that for complicated grief and also trauma. I mean, there are some um, families who've experienced the death of multiple family members. And so we need to be mindful of that too. Yeah, I, I think that that can be so difficult. Uh, you know, first of all, you know, the, the whole COVID pandemic is difficult enough. And then losing people during a pandemic when you can't be there is even more difficult, but losing multiple family members. So I can imagine, and this, this is not unique to cancer and it's not unique to COVID, but, um, you know, planes crash and entire families, um, disappear. Uh, it can be particularly difficult uh, for the uh, the remaining surviving family members uh, or loved ones. What advice do you have when people are are facing multiple uh, tragedies in in the family all at once? I, I can just imagine um, that that would just compound the grief, and for many, might be insurmountable. Absolutely, and one of the um uh, one of the w what we would be talking about really is again, you know, traumatic bereavement and traumatic grief, and um, helping people get to resources in the community who can help with that particular type of grief experience. You know, as we're talking too, I'm thinking also we also tell folks um, to be mindful of the media um, and and to set limits because a lot of times. Um, it, you know, what we're seeing um, today on TV, uh, on the television is, you know, increases the pain of the grief. Um, and even sometimes when you hear stories about survivors, that um, they also um, it causes pain because people might think, why couldn't this? Ha why couldn't this be me? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, just picking up on that, I mean, that whole sense of guilt that I think uh, some people who are the surviving uh, family member might feel, right? This happened to mom, but it could have happened to me if only I had done X, Y, Z. Um, and, and that feeling of, of guilt, whether it's well-placed or not, um, it only adds to that to that grief. Now, certainly in cancer, it's difficult to kind of say, well, you know, uh, why, why did this, uh, happen to them and not to me? Um, but, but you could certainly see that in other cases, for example, you know, mom went on that trip. Uh, I could have gone instead. Then when the plane crashed down, it might've been me instead of her. How, how do you get people to overcome that, grief and, and kind of um, come to terms with um, what is and, and and try to build some more um, acceptance as much as, as you can. You know, what you're talking about, too, are the what we talk about in the groups and the seminars are the shoulda, woulda, coulda thoughts um, where you're reflecting back. And um, one of the interventions that we use are really taking a look at people's intentions, um, even in the midst of making decisions um, with family members care when there's an illness. It, you always make you, you made the best decision that you could at the time. And you're thinking about even if a loved one went on a trip and, and there was a serious accident. Again, the, in, the intention was always in the loved one's benefit. Um, so that's uh, one of the one of the interventions that that we use. Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's so critical to kind of think about um, all of these little tips and tricks that can really help get people and families through difficult circumstances, especially now um, during COVID. We're going to pick up on this conversation right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about bereavement during COVID and cancer with my guest, Andrea Lucibello. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about smoking cessation. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Andrea Lucibello. We're talking about bereavement during COVID and cancer. And Andrea, you know, right before the break, we were talking about um, how it's just really, it's really a tragic event when somebody 
that you love passes away and all of the emotions that go through that. And no matter how much you try to prepare, you know, you you talk to your loved one, you try to FaceTime if you can't be with them physically during this pandemic, um, you share stories. It still hurts uh, when they ultimately pass. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you can get people through that, because I can imagine that for some people, um, it, it really can negatively affect your life. I mean, I can imagine that for some people, um, it really paralyzes you and makes it very difficult for you to continue living your life as you did before. That's right. One of the things that we talk about with folks after the death of a loved one is that life as you knew it has ceased to exist. So all of the patterns, all of your routines that you had with your loved one no longer exist. And there's quite often people experience a sense of disorganization um, because of these patterns and the routines that, that no longer exist. Life is off balanced. So we provide education around the grief process. So first we talk with folks about uh, grief reactions. Again, as I said earlier, um, it, they're not only emotional, but also physical. Some folks may have difficulty sleeping, may have difficulties with their appetite. Um, even sometimes um, some, some uh, chest pain. Um, so we always encourage folks to that if they are having physical symptoms to go to their primary physicians and, and have a physical just to be on the safe side. Um, in addition, as I said before, we talked earlier too, um, concentration and memory can be um, affected. Folks will say, you know, a task that I used to only have take me like 15 minutes to do, it now can take me an hour and a half to do, or I go into a room and I can't remember what I go into the room for. All of these are very normal grief reactions, but when you're experiencing them, you're really thinking that something is, is very wrong with me. Also, um, you know, the intensity of the emotions, tears, um, you know, somebody might get up in the morning, they're having a good day, and then they go into the car and they hear a song and they're brought to tears or even a simple trip to the grocery store. You go down an aisle and you see perhaps a, a package of cookies that you used to buy with your for your loved one, and the tears come because these uh, the song and the package of cookies really represent the relationship and all that it that it meant to you. So we talk to folks about that, and we give people, if you will, permission um, to to experience these feelings. We also encourage self care because grief is physically and emotionally exhausting. Um, so we talk to folks to make sure that, you know, you get enough rest. Um, if someone um, does invite you to, to do something where a social occasion um, where you feel it might be a little bit too much, see if you can um, give them another idea. Um, for some people, too, if they're invited to a party, um, socializing when you're grieving is very hard. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. So we tell folks, you know, maybe if you want to go, you go for a shorter period of time and you let um, the host know um, where you're at. Um, we also um, give folks um, a list of resources, books. Um, for some folks, books are very, very helpful. And some of these books are um, authored by professionals. Others are authored by um, people who experience the death of a loved one and they share what helped them through their grief process. 
Yeah, I what mean, we also, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I said what we also know is that, um, you know, the the path of healing isn't straight. We There's a theory that we use where we talk about uh, grief being a back and forth. So pe- people have to experience the sadness, but then they also experience what we call restoration activities. And those might be, believe it or not, going back to work, um, volunteering somewhere. For some people, they might have to engage in new activities that um, their loved one used to do. Um, for example, even um, maybe going grocery shopping or paying bills, learning these new activities, um, it's part of the healing process. So it's that back and forth and back and forth. And that's how people heal. Yeah, I think I think so much of that, though, must be really difficult. I mean, I can imagine your spouse dies. They were the ones always buying the groceries. You now have to pick up this task. And when you go to the grocery store, you're seeing the things that they used to buy and, and you're dealing with that emotional grief while still learning how to buy groceries and how to cook. And um, and then you're in the kitchen and you're, you're making the dish that they always made. And, you know, you're seeing the things that they they had around the house and um and and those constant memories and and that can really uh be painful um emotionally and as you say may kind of cascade into physical kind of grief as well so how do how do people get help i mean and and how do you know what is normal grief like you know part of what would normally be expected and when that is really um too much when when you really need help um to cope with this grief when grief kind of gets out of hand um you know do do you give people advice on when they should you know seek counseling or you know uh when those tears should stop sure what we talk about is um there's the acute phase of grief, and then there's the in, and we move into an integrated phase of grief. The acute grief is typically within the first six months after the death, um, where um, the tears uh, it might it, people are brought to tears um, uh, uh, e- more easily. Um, and again, we talked about the difficulties with concentration and and perhaps being a- around folks in, in socially. However, what happens is. As um, as people begin to re-enter their life, um, go back to work, b- begin to have some social act socialization, they begin to experience a decrease in their grief. So you'll hear people say, you know, for an hour today, or maybe even two hours today, I felt pretty good. I felt normal, and we want that to happen. That's what we listen for when we're working with people who are grieving, because we want. One, we want to validate it and normalize it and encourage it because it doesn't mean that if you're not grieving, that you're not remembering or that you don't love the person who died. That's not the case at all. It's part of the healing process. It's part of that back and forth and back and forth. And what we want to get people into when when they move into a state of integrated grief, memories um, are less um, sad. They... Memories bring comfort. Um, people are uh, find that they have more energy, both physically and socially. They might also um, engage in new activities. They might engage in new relationships. So that's what we're looking for. 
when these different behaviors or activities, uh, points of healing, when we're not hearing that, that's when we begin to to be concerned and when we might talk with people about considering maybe doing some one-to-one therapy too, um, to help them along with this process. Yeah. I can imagine though that, that people may often kind of say, you know, I, I do feel guilty, you know, especially getting into a new relationship when my spouse just died. Um, I, I do feel guilty going back to that restaurant that um, we always used to eat at without her. Um, and, and how how do you kind of get people over that? I, I mean, that sense of, that sense of guilt. Everyone is, is different. I will tell you along, um, along their path of grief for, some people, um, they find it a little more easier to make new connections with people and new relationships. Others are more hesitant about it. So it, it, the best answer I can have you, it, it's up to, it's really individual and mm-hmm. being respectful of the uniqueness of that relationship um, in the grief process. Yeah. And, and this, this is another question that you might answer in the same way in terms of things being personal. But a, a question that some people ask is, you know, how can I get through this grief process in the healthiest way? I mean, is it, is it better to, you know, when I'm dealing with somebody's personal effects and affairs that, that you kind of just get rid of, of things that uh, belong to them so that I can start afresh and anew? Or is it better to keep those things so that I can remember that person and and cherish the memories? I mean, is it really different for different people or is there some sort of healthy balance in terms of helping people to kind of get through this grieving process in a way that is constructive and and that really doesn't um, kind of take over their lives in a negative way? It's very much like what you what you talked about is it is different for different people. Um, But what what we find in our work is that when people um, have have a meaningful place to bring someone's belongings, that makes all the difference in the world. So for some folks, um, they um, they keep um, what what is going to be helpful to them. So it might be items of jewelry. It might be clothing. Um, we've had um, folks um, invite other family members um, to go through loved ones' belongings and to take things that um, will be significant for them, meaningful for them. And then after that, um, folks begin to think about who, where can I best um bring my loved one's belonging how can who will best benefit and for some folks um they will bring them to particular organizations that help particular populations um and and that brings meaning to them and it brings a sense of peace when they're um donating their loved one's belongings Mm -hmm. so that's what we talk a, a lot about is um in in that process to think about what's going to be meaningful because that's going to that's going to really make a difference. 
Yeah. And I think in, in our last couple of minutes here, this brings me to perhaps my final question, which is um, talk a little bit about um, faith and spirituality and um, kind of that context um, in bereavement. How, how does that play in? Um, uh, again, it, it, I would imagine that it's it's very personal for different people, but um, it must be a fairly universal concept of thinking about um, one's own mortality as well as the mortality of, of family members. Sure. I think faith can go two ways. One is people can find great comfort in faith. The other is that sometimes people are, are angry, angry that... Um, things didn't turn out or their situation didn't turn out the way they had hoped. Um, and for other folks too, um, faith can be more of a uh, connecting with nature or connecting with one another. And ultimately, my experience has been in working with people as they process their grief and make meaning from it, they become more compassionate people. Um, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's how I have experienced folks as they're, as they're moving through their, uh, grief process, um, working through it, um, can create compassion and, um, and I think can deepen, deepen people's relationship, um, deepen people's, um, ideas for, for what's important and possibly even resetting priorities um, with, with how, they, how they choose to live their life. Andrea Lucibello is a licensed clinical social worker and the coordinator of bereavement services for Yale New Haven Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.